are going to begin with these opening four verses of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number one is where we're reading here today. It says these words, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in Heaven. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. And this is God's Word this morning. We're on our second message here in this series of messages about the miracle of Christmas. Of course, we're told again by Hollywood or whatever that Christmas miracles happen when presents show up under a tree, under a family that's destitute and weary. Christmas miracles happen in hospital rooms when someone is sick and yet Someone buys them Christmas shoes or whatever the case might be. And while I'm not discounting all of those things, my point is, my hope is, that you would understand that the whole incarnation of Christ, the whole coming of Christ is really a miraculous thing. God being willing to intervene in the lives of humanity to help men and women when they were lost and separated and destitute without Him. God willing to come and be born among us as a common individual is really nothing short of miraculous. Of course, last week we talked about the idea that the whole moment in time when Christ was born was indeed a miraculous moment in time. God was orchestrating and planning all things according to the counsel of His will. It really was amazing to think about how the world was ready for the birth of Christ when the time was fully come. God sent His Son. And again, the things that Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire after them did to prepare the earth to receive Christ. It was truly, truly miraculous. Today, though, we consider not only that the coming of Christ was miraculous when He came, but also the message of His coming was and is miraculous. It is a miracle to think that the God of the universe has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ. Now we all understand, we know how important communication is. Without communication, 
Things just don't work. Things just don't function well in this world. You must have an ability to be able to communicate with one another. When I was in Kenya the first time in 2016, we went with the owner of the orphanage there in, I, in Kenya that we have, several of us have been to throughout the years. And we went to a government agency in Nairobi where we met a young man named John Paul. And John Paul was a young boy, an African Kenyan boy who was abandoned by his family. They thought there was something wrong with him. Because John Paul was unable to speak. And of course, over there, there's something wrong with these children. They don't sometimes seek help. Sometimes they just leave their children, leave them in the woods or leave them on the side of the road and just abandon them totally. And it's such a disastrous thing to think about. But this little boy who was believed to be about six years old was found abandoned and was taken to this government-run rescue center. It wasn't until he got there and eventually wound up at that Haven on the Hill orphanage that they found out that there really was nothing wrong with John Paul other than the fact that he was very hearing impaired. And he could not communicate. And they did not know how to communicate with him. And, and something that we would figure out with our children at a young age and be able to take them and, and find them help and to give them the help that they need, they were unable to give to this little boy, and it wasn't until Phil and Janice Wagner got involved that they began to find and are finding the help that he needs. And of course, the point is critical. You, you cannot have success unless you learn how to communicate. We learn as the earliest of age how to communicate with our children, and our children learn how to communicate. And we teach them reading and writing and how to speak to each other so that we can communicate. As, and you think about how critical it is to be able to speak to each other in order to see success in life. So the question for us as human beings is twofold. Number one, is there a God? And secondly, if there is a God, then has God spoken to us? And I believe the answer to these questions, of course, is a resounding yes and yes. There is a God. And God has spoken to us. And you need not only to look any further than the story of Christmas to realize God has spoken loudly and clearly to us as individuals. And the same God who has been speaking throughout all of human history is still speaking to your life and to my life today if we will but listen to Him. God still speaks through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, it's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we realize, first of all, our first point is this, is that God has indeed spoken. God has spoken to us. You look at verse 1 again, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. Okay, God has indeed spoken to us as human beings. And think about all of the ways in which God has spoken to us. He has spoken, first of all, through creation. 
Spoken through creation in Psalm 19 verses 1 and 4, we see this very clearly. It says there in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out. And to all the earth are words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Do you hear those words there? The heavens declare? Isn't a declaration a speech? Didn't we tell King George hundreds of years ago, we no longer want you to tax us. We're starting our own country. Thank you very much. You don't like it? Come over here and we'll kill you all and Start a revolutionary war. It's a declaration. It's a speech that the skies proclaim. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Their voice goes into all of the earth. What is he saying there? Other than the fact that, like he said there, that we don't use words, we don't hear a sound, but yet there is something that is communicated very loudly to us. And what is that communication? It is that there is a Creator God and His works are glorious. Just for giggles, I got on NASA's website this week and Got on air, I found a story. It says in August 2018, NASA's Parker Solar Probe launched into space, soon to become the closest ever spacecraft to the sun. With cutting-edge scientific instruments to measure the environment around the spacecraft, Parker Solar Probe has completed three of 24 planned passes through never-before-explored parts of the sun's atmosphere, the corona. December 4th, new, four new papers in the journal Nature describe what scientists have learned from this unprecedented exploration of our star and what they look forward to learning next. Though it may seem placid to us here on earth, the sun is anything but quiet. Our sun is magnetically active, unleashing powerful bursts of light, deluges of particles moving near the speed of life in billion-ton clouds of magnetized material. All of this activity affects our planet, injecting damaging particles into the space where our satellites and astronauts fly, disrupting communication and navigation signals, and even when intense, triggering power outages. If you don't understand what that means, don't ask me. Not a scientist. I just play one on Sunday mornings, right? The, the whole point of that is they're, they're learning about the sun and they're realizing how awesome and magnificent this, this sun is. And, and you and I, even at our smallest of levels, we understand. That's why we're all wearing heavy coats this morning because the sun is lighting the other side of the earth. We understand how important the sun is for our life. And yet these same scientists there at NASA or wherever they are, Stand there and say it's all an accident. It's all a chance. It's all randomness. It's like, are you kidding me? Don't you understand that if the sun were just a little bit closer to us, we would fry in an instant. If it were a little bit far away, we'd be frozen solid. But it's in the right place because God has created this world. illustrates the fact the sun with everything else is an amazing, awe-inspiring thing. God has spoken to us through this world. 
It speaks to us. Romans 1.20 says, For the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people are without excuse. You don't believe in God, pick up your science book. You have no excuse not to believe in Him. It's not just the created order, though. God has also spoken through His law. Spoken through His law. His word, His rules, His commandments are His word. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. Exodus 20, of course, is the, uh, is the origin of the Ten Commandments. Written on tablets of stone. And what does Exodus 20 tell us there? He says, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Would you hear those words there? God spoke these words. David wrote a whole chapter in Psalm 119 that speaks about the Word of God, the law of God, the testimonies of God, God's speech, God's revelation. We understand that all of the law of God is God speaking to us, revealing Himself to us. The Old Testament, the law that God has handed down through Moses And as Christians, we don't just discount it. Yes, I know we are not under the law of Moses anymore, but it is there to speak to us and show us who God is and to reveal the holiness of His nature to us. And we must listen and learn from what God has said. Not only in the Gospels, but also through the books of Moses. This is the Word of God. Jesus reaffirmed it in Mark chapter 7. He said, for Moses said, honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer do anything for their father or mother. Jesus is arguing with them and he's, He's saying, look, you say you follow Moses' law, but in reality, you're taking all your money instead of helping your parents in their elderly age. You're taking all your money, you're spending it on yourself, and you're saying, I'm giving my money to God. Jesus said, you nullify the Word of God. What was the Word of God? The Word of God in the fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother. Nullify His Word. You see, God has spoken to us through His created acts. He's spoken to us through His Word, through His law. He's also spoken to us through His prophets. Spoken to us through the prophets of old. The Old Testament prophetic writings are the Word of God that God has given to us. Jeremiah said, look, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a speaker. I can't go out and preach to these people. God said, no, I called you before you were even born. And Jeremiah 1 verse 9 says this, Then the Lord reached out His hand, and He touched my mouth, and He said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. And over and over again from Isaiah and Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Haggai and Malachi and Zechariah, Jonah and Obadiah, and I'm not going to mention them all because I'll probably miss one or two. But all of these words were the words of God to the people of Israel and the word of God for us today to listen, 
to heed, to hear. That's why we read the Old Testament prophetic books. We read the Old Testament uh, law books, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, if you would. We read them because when we read these, we understand this is God speaking to us. That's the point of Hebrews 1.1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. God has been speaking to mankind ever since their creation. Now, how to understand this fully, keep a few things in mind. First, God spoke in many portions. This refers to the 39 different books of the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, the different prophets, the writings, which include poetic and historical books. Second, God spoke in many ways. Sometimes He revealed Himself through angels. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush and later directly on a mountain. He revealed Himself to the Israelites through fire, thunder, earthquake, and clouds. He also revealed Himself through the miracles that He did through Moses. He spoke to Isaiah in the vision of His glory and to Ezekiel in the vision of the wheels and creatures. He sometimes used dreams, object lessons, natural events, and other means. All of these things are recorded in His written word for our instruction. The third, we also understand here that God's revelation in the Old Testament was progressive. It was progressive. It was true, but yet it was incomplete. We didn't understand all of it. All of it was true, but it was incomplete or else there would have been no need for it. It's final and complete revelation. And that revelation, of course, is through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's my second point this morning. God's final revelation is through His Son. You see, the picture continued to grow more clear, but it was not complete until the New Testament revealed Jesus Christ to us. And now when we see Jesus, we see God's final revelation. Look at those words there in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2. Therefore, in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, by whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. The Son is the exact representation of His being. He has sustained all things by His powerful word. After he has provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Before God spoke through prophets, he progressively revealed himself through uh, humanity or to humanity, showing his plan eventually and in unfolding ways. But now when we see the person of Jesus Christ, we see the full and final revelation of who God is. I've already read some of these verses. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 again, the Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John repeats this in 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. What's he saying? He's saying, look, the very word of God, we have heard his voice. We have seen him. In fact, I leaned upon his chest as we were eating the Last Supper. I was able to touch him, to touch the side, the nails in his hands, the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. I have seen the exact representation of God. And that's what Hebrews says here. He is the exact radiance, the exact representation of the Father. Jesus repeats this in John 14 when when he tells Philip, we want to see God, we want to see the Father. And Jesus answered him in John 14 verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You see, this is the miracle This is the miracle of the message of Christmas. This is really a miraculous thing to think about and behold. That that little baby that you put in your nativity scene is in fact the very one who created this world and upholds this world. The one that you take at Easter time and you put up three crosses. He, the one there on that middle cross, was indeed the Savior of humanity. What a miraculous thing to consider that when we could not go to God, God said, I will come to you. I will live with you. I will lay down my life for you. I will die on a cross for you. I will forgive you of your sins when you cannot do anything to pay them off. God said, I'm coming to you. You see, in Islam... Salvation is found to live a life that is pleasing to Allah. And if you are pleasing enough to Allah, you can gain paradise. And so they pray five times a day. They take their journey to Mecca. And of course, we see the effects of radical Muslims believing that if they kill us, kill Jews, they will inherit eternal life. You have to live in a way that's pleasing to Allah. Buddhism began as a way to address the suffering in the world, but they find salvation in Buddhism by being reincarnated over and over and over again until eventually you reach the state of nirvana and you're no longer reincarnated. So depending on how good you're living today, you'll come back as a better life form or as a worse life form. Right, so if you gave me a nice Christmas present, you'll be a better person in your next life. I'm just saying. Eventually you get to the place where you're good enough and you achieve nirvana. For a Hindu, it's called moksha. Moksha is when an enlightened human being is, is freed from the cycle of life and death, the endless cycle again of reincarnation. There are four ways to moksha, the way of action. 
carrying out certain religious ceremonies, the way of knowledge, using your mind and philosophy to understand the universe, the way of devotion through an act of worship, through the royal road, the act of meditation and yoga techniques, reaching salvation used by wandering monks living on mountainsides, I guess. You see what's common in all of these religions? Work your way to God. Make your way to God. Keep going. Do more and more and more and more things. And eventually you will get to God. But I want you to know this morning, you will never get there to God. You will never be good enough. You will never give enough money. You will never pray enough. You will never fast enough. You will never uh, become a martyr enough to earn God's favor. But you don't have to. Because God said, I know you can't earn it, but I will come and give it to you freely. I will sacrifice my son so that you might have eternal life. God laying there as a helpless baby boy. God sitting next to me in school, learning the Hebrew alphabet, the reading and writing of the Jewish young children. God playing kickball next to me on the recess. God the one making my kitchen table as a carpenter. God knowing what it's like to have friends walk away and abandon Him. God knowing what it's like to feel pain of bearing loved ones. God knows what it's like to be despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. God Himself going through all that we go through in this life. All of the heartache, all of the pain, all of the sorrow, God has faced it himself and through it all he has provided a way for us to handle and deal with it. You see, that is the message that we see in Christmas. The message that God has for us in my final point today, God has a message for us. The message that he has, what is it? What is that message that he wants us to hear again? Verse 3, he has provided purification for sins. And he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he has become as much superior to the angels. Because the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Think about those words. He has provided purification for sins. He has made a way for you and I to approach the presence of God. He has provided a path of peace and redemption and forgiveness and healing. This is the message. And you see these messages all throughout the birth of Christ. Let me give you four of them here this morning. How about the message of joy? The message of joy, first of all, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. What did the angel say to the shepherds? He said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause what? Great joy. There is a real joy in knowing that Christ has died for my sins. 
And He has given me eternal life. I'm not talking about superficial happiness. Yeah, you're going to go home this afternoon and you're going to turn on your football uh, team and hopefully they're going to win and, and you're going to be happy and you're going to jump up and down and, and hug your wife and she's going to roll her eyes and say, really, again? Who cares? You're going you're gonna to have joy when you get up and you're going to find a, a, a new toy under the tree, but like everybody says, you know, you should have just gave your kid the box or happier with that. That's not joy. I'm talking about something that's deep inside of your heart that keeps you and sustains you joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take it away and you'll never find it outside of this relationship with Jesus Christ. But once you have Him in your life, you understand what real, complete, and lasting joy is. You look at Him and you say, all this stuff I count as lost to the joy of knowing Christ. I bring you great joy for all people. Not just joy, but also Message of peace. Message of peace. Glory to God, Luke 2, 14, in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. Seems to me in our political realm, we have two ways of getting peace. We have the ways of one party that says, we'll just blow you to smithereens and we'll stockpile guns and ammunitions and we'll fight you and kill you all. We have the others who say, well, let's talk and let's compromise and we'll appease you and give you what you want and overlook certain falls in you. Just don't, just don't attack us. They may work temporarily, but the reality is we will never know peace until we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. You see, and the peace that God gives us is a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that allows you to stand there in a hospital room and a doctor to say there is something seriously wrong and you sit there and you say, you know what, it's well with my soul. It's a peace that when the rumor mill at work is going around about cutbacks and layoffs and you think, wait a second, I really need this job. God is able to tell you it's going to be okay. It's peace that comes when you're in the midst of jails and riots and wars and you understand God is there and He is not silent. It's not just the message of joy and peace, but it's also the message of presence. Presence, not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, gifts, boxes, but rather His presence. You see, Joseph, Joseph thought his wife was unfaithful to him. God showed up and said, no, she hasn't been. See, she's, Impregnated by the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 1.23 we're told the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means 
God with us. What did Jesus say before he left this world? He said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. David wrote about it hundreds of years for Jesus. And he said, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee if I go all the way up into heaven? If I get on that solar probe that's flying around the sun, which you probably shouldn't do because you'll probably burn to death. But that close to the sun, I'm there. You're there. That space shuttle that they send is landing on Mars and is sending pictures back. And I think there's even one that's gone past Mars or trying to reach the edge of the galaxy God is still there. No matter where you are in your life, His presence is with me. Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's what Christmas has told us. God has come to be with mankind. Finally, it's the message of salvation. The message of salvation. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, Matthew 1, 21, because Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. He will save his people from their sins. See, the miracle, the message of Christmas, I should say, is not that you can eat extra holiday cookies and they're all well and good and I'm eating my share in case you can't tell. It's not that you get to get a few days off work and, and yes, it will be nice to sleep in clear till 5.30 or 6 on Christmas morning. Reach a certain age where you just can't sleep in no matter how late you go, right? Yeah, it's nice to see family and friends, but None of that's important. The important thing is you and I are without God. And we need God in our life. And when we did not know how to get to God, God said, I will come to you and I will live among you and I will save you from your sins. That's the miracle of this message. One of the carols that we sing at Christmas time is the carol I heard the bells on Christmas Day. It was written in the 1800s by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and it's a very interesting story. In 1860, Longfellow was at the peak of his success as a poet. Abraham Lincoln was elected president. There's hope in the nation, but soon things, of course, turned dark. Civil war began. Not too long after, in 1860, Longfellow's wife died of severe burns after her dress caught on fire. He himself sustained severe burns on his hands and face trying to save his wife. He was so badly burned, he could not in turn even a tender funeral. 
Christmas Day, 1861, he wrote, How inexpressibly sad are the holidays. You feel that way this morning? I'm sure there may be some. Feel the grief, you feel the pain. Maybe it's a loved one that's gone. Maybe it's sickness in your own body. 1862, the Civil War escalated and a death toll from the war began to mount. In his diary that year, he wrote of Christmas, a Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. 1863, his son was fighting in the Union Army, returned home severely wounded. Eventually lost his son. 1863, Longfellow wanted to pull out of his despair, so he decided, or he had decided to try to capture the joy of Christmas. He wrote these words, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. Wild and sweet the word repeats of good peace on earth, goodwill to men. As he was writing this poem and this song, he stopped and he began to think the Battle of Gettysburg had just happened. Days looked dark. He probably asked himself this question, how can I write about peace on earth, goodwill to men, in this war-torn country where brother is fighting against brother and father against son? And he wrote this stanza. He said, in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and marks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And we look around and we think, how can there be peace on earth? Look at, look at what's going on in my family. Look at what's going on in this country. Look at the controversy we're all roiled in and, and all these people on television yelling and screaming at each other. Look at these dictators around the world flexing their nuclear muscles. It says this, O Henry Wadsworth Longfellow caught an eternal perspective. And he caught the real message of Christmas and Christ himself. And he wrote these words and pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to man. Man who lost his wife, who lost his son, is seeing a country being torn apart by war. Says these words God is not dead, he does not sleep. There will be peace on earth. That is a message you need to hear. You need to go home. Turn off the television with all their rancor and rigor morale. Stand in front of your tree. Say, God, you are not dead. You are not asleep. Right will prevail in my life. You are there and you are speaking to me. You need to go home and push aside the bills from the medical procedures that are stacking up and say, God, you are not dead. You are there. You are listening to me. Maybe you push aside the grief of loss. Say, God, I know you're there. And I know 
and my loved one will live again. That's the miracle of this message. God is there, and he is listening to you, and he hears you, and he is waiting for you to call out to him. Maybe you need to go home and get on your knees and say, Lord, I know you're there and you're going to forgive me of all of my sins. I ask you to do that. You hear the bells are ringing. Choir is singing peace on earth. Not the choir of you and I, but the choir of God's angels saying there is peace on earth for you. I want our worship team to come this morning. And Carter, why don't you go down and see if you can find Mom. <laughs> I don't know if she's ready to come up or not. We're going to sing this song. That I just talked about today. Fact is, You might be caught up again with the car dealership telling you that the only way to have a Merry Christmas is to buy one of their new cars. You may be caught up with the idea that the only way to have a Merry Christmas is for me to go this way and my family to go that way, us to stay away from each other. Well, I would have a Merry Christmas if I just Whatever. Reality is you can have a Merry Christmas no matter your circumstance because God loves you and he died for your sins. He has given you eternal life. A child laying there in a manger is God incarnate, God who came and died for us. He's the same God who is with you in your valley in your furnace, in your trial, in your pain, and in your heartache, he is 